Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast. So I am joined on the line by Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon. Uh, for the, those of you who remember, Mark is our—he's our go-to quarterback guru. So Mark, we last spoke, I believe it was about four weeks ago, just before the college season kicked off. Uh, so far, we're about twenty-five percent of the way through, depending on you know how many teams, how many, how many games your team plays. It seems to vary from team to team. Uh, I think we've got a fairly decent sample size here to judge some of these college quarterbacks. So, like I said, four weeks since we've last spoken, Florida State haven't won a game. Alabama and Clemson look destined for a third national championship. And even after 33 career starts, we're still not too sure what to make of JT Barrett. So today, Mark's going to give us his top 10 college quarterbacks and finally his top five draft prospect quarterbacks. Now, there is a very big difference there between which I'm sure Mark will uh, alleviate to you later. So, Mark, how have you been since we last spoke? I'm doing well, Tom. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, yes. Uh, just me this time. Nick's not going to join us again. I believe he's stuck at work I think, a bit. I think Nick's dunking me. Hey. I don't know. I mean, this is two shows in a row where he's dunked me here. I don't know what's going on with your friend there. There's definitely a, a slight going on there, potentially. It could be. Could yeah, be, I think so. We'll have to see if we can work that. I mean, I mean, his his wife is past her due date, so you know he might not be on the podcast for the next couple of weeks. Uh-huh. So, I mean, when we next get you on, hopefully we can get we can work it out where where Nick, you know, somehow our wires crossed but nick has sent in a question for you he wants to oh fantastic he wants to pick your brains a little bit but we'll get into those later so shall we go on to your top 10 college quarterbacks which you've actually you kind of split them out into tier two and tier one so do you want to start with those you've called tier two quarterbacks yeah sure and you know uh, kind of at the outset like uh, i always struggle with like ranking guys tom like you know because it's so hard particularly in the college game you've got so many offenses doing so many different things and you know sometimes just a completely different level of talent from team to team or level of competition at least at this point in the season so i like sort of breaking them into tiers because you've got you know the five sort of guys that i've got up at the top and then sort of the next five that are guys that have you know, I've kind of included in this second tier guys that have kind of slid a bit under their radar that maybe aren't getting a ton of attention. But I think, you know, maybe a year or two down the road, these guys might be full time NFL prospect type quarterbacks. But for right now, they've just really impressed me sort of in how they played. And the first name is look, Kelly Bryant down at Clemson. And, you know, obviously Clemson loses to Sean Watson. You think, OK, that offense might take a step back. They're not going to be the same. They're not going to be as explosive breaking in a freshman quarterback like Kelly Bryan. I watched that Clemson Louisville game for the sole purpose of charting Lamar Alexander. And we can get to that. before. I mean, excuse me, Lamar Alexander, Lamar Jackson. I came away blown away with what they did with Kelly Bryant because you'd think in that environment on the road, primetime national game. You know, on Saturday night, they'd sort of dial back the playbook a bit, but they went in there and they were aggressive with him. And it showed how ready he was for that kind of environment. And, you know, what he's been able to do so far at Clemson has has kind of blown me away. And for anybody that was questioning, you know, Clemson sort of reload and get back to a national title game through these first couple of weeks, Brian has shown me that this offense can get them back to a national championship game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, he he is so young. You know, he backed up to Sean Watson for two years. There was obviously very high expectations in there coming in this year. And I mean, he he seems to have hit the ground running, hasn't he? I mean, he's he's kind of kind of ran away with it. You know, he's surpassing all of our expectations. We thought there might have been a little bit of teething pain, you know, in there as he tries to adjust the offense. But you know, I think he's been impressive. How about you give us a, a few other names from your tier two list now? 
Oh, sure. And, you know, another guy that has also really flown under the radar so far and again, similar type of situation where you're wondering, you know, what you might be getting from this guy's coming into this situation, but that's Ryan Finley, you know, at North Carolina state. And he started for them last year. Obviously they had to replace Jacoby Brissett, but in studying quarterbacks this summer and sort of getting ready for the next draft class, Finley is something that, you know, other people have done work on him as well. It's not just me, but they've, they've liked what they've seen in him and, you know, hasn't th- thrown up incredible numbers so far. But a couple of things definitely stand out. I mean, he went up against a defense that you mentioned, Florida State, that hadn't given up a ton of passing yards, only you know averaging about 130 yards per game so far this season. That Florida State defense, obviously, we mentioned when we talked last time, Derwin James and you know what he can do as a defensive back. But to this date so far, Finley's completed 74% of his passes, 1,217 yards, eight touchdowns, and no interceptions. And Anytime as a quarterback, as a leader of an offense, you don't make mistakes, you don't turn the football over, you're doing your job. And, you know, that Florida State game against that tough defense, you know, he threw for 230 yards. It was the first time all year he had completed less than 70% of his passes. He only completed 68.8. He's completed a ton of his throws. He's not turning the football over. And so I've really been impressed with Ryan Finley so far. You know, another guy in this second tier is Jalen Hurts. You know, there was a lot of buildup down in Alabama, down in Tuscaloosa. Look, are they going to turn it over to the freshman, you know, the kid from Hawaii? But Hertz has shown so far that, look, this is his offense. We're starting to see some development from him grow it into that quarterback position. I mean, when you look back at last year's national championship game, there were times when it wasn't so much that Hertz was really holding that offense back, but it seemed like when they needed to throw the ball, when they needed to really rely on him making plays from the pocket, it was a bit of a question mark. We're seeing him grow at the quarterback position, which I'm very impressed with. I always like to see how quarterbacks grow from year to year, and we're seeing some growth with him. You know, so those you know three guys sort of at the outside are in that second tier for me. And then you know two more is Justin Herbert from Oregon. You know, again. Wondering about the Oregon quarterback position, he seems to have locked that down. He's really, again, another guy that has really flashed so far this year. And, you know, a lot of people tuned in to see that Wyoming-Oregon game to see how just Josh Allen might look against the Power 5 school. And we can get to Allen in a second, but people came away more impressed with the kid from Oregon than anybody else. And then finally, Nick Fitzgerald, who I think he's going to make a name for himself, you know, as maybe as the season goes on depending on what he does at the end of it, but another guy that has really played very well so far this year. Yeah, no, I mean, like you said, you know, this, this tier two, there seems to be a lot of guys here you've listed who seem to be, you know, maybe not in the national spotlight as much, you know, guys like, you know, Justin Herbert, Oregon, Ryan Finley, definitely at NC State, and, and you know, Finley, like you said, he's been lights out so far, really efficient with the football. Do you think that that was a signature win for him against FSU on the weekend that kind of, you know, establishes him, makes more people, you know, look at his resume, take him seriously in this in this second tier now? I think so, Tom. And part of it is, look, they started out their season on the road at South Carolina. They dropped that game, you know, a seven-point loss. And then they go, okay, you get Marshall, you beat them. You get Furman, you beat them. Okay, those are two, like, lower-tier type schools. Like, let's see you perform at a bigger-type stage against a more quality opponent. You know, to go up against a Florida State team that at that point was ranked, you know, still ranked highly, even though they dropped that opener against Alabama. That is, Tom, I think, a statement type game. And to have the kind of another efficient performance, 22 of 32 for 230 and the two touchdowns, you know, I think that's kind of a statement game from him. And 
you know, to have a win like that. Now people know who Ryan Finley is. Now people are going to give him a lot more attention. And in a year when we've seen some of the top quarterbacks that we thought going in were going to sort of separate themselves from the pack, when a year when we've seen like a guy like Josh Allen fall back to earth a bit, guys like Finley are starting to fill that gap or starting to come forward and say, hey, you know, there are some other quarterbacks that we should be paying attention to, and I'm one of them. Yeah, no, great breakdown there for me, Mark. And I really, you know, I think the listeners will really appreciate that. Maybe a few guys there who they probably haven't heard of who they'll start to look at more, you know, as as the season progresses. Shall we move on to your tier one then? Who is the the creme de la creme, you know, the the, the cream of the crop? Who is the elite or the tier one group, as you've called it, of college quarterback? Uh, college quarterback. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Tom. And the, the, these five guys, I think, have kind of at one point or another throughout the season so far, sort of separated themselves. And you know, it's hard to you know, stick with who to start with first. Again, there is no, in no particular order, but obviously Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, the two kids out on the West Coast, you know, the way they've played so far, you know, Darnold with the sort of overtime win against Texas, it just seems like there is something special about that kid. And when you and I talked, Tom, over the summer about him, there were concerns about him, you know, coming into the season, the throwing mechanics, the upper body and the wonky throwing motion, the lower body, and sometimes that doesn't match up with the upper body. But, Darnold seems to be one of those guys that it doesn't matter how it looks. Maybe it looks ugly, whatever, but it just seems like he can put the football where it needs to be. And that, you know, that victory over Texas, I think maybe Texas, they're not quite back yet. Sure. You know, it's a home game like that against a non-conference opponent. You expect to win a game like that, but still, it just seems like he's one of those guys that, you know, when the lights are bright, he's able to make the plays that his team needs him to make for him to them to come out victorious. And, you know, this past week against California, they go on the road. You know, it's uh, their second conference game. They come out of that with another win. He's made some mistakes. Sure, he had two interceptions in the opener against Western Michigan. He's thrown two interceptions against Stanford, two interceptions against Texas, nine TDs, seven interceptions on the year. There might be some turnover concerns. But we've seen guys have those sort of mistakes in college, like Jameis Winston last year with Deshaun Watson. But they still get drafted be- – high because you can live with the mistakes if they're going to pull out victories like Darnold has done so far. And, you know, what he's sort of meant to this Trojans team and how they're looking right now, I think it's important to have in the, him in the mix. And then, you know, yeah, the other guy from across town, Josh Rosen. And, you know, you look at that A&M game where it looked like, you know, man, they were just getting blown off the field at home. They just were not playing well. And he puts that team on his back you know, throws four touchdowns and comes out the next week, throws five TDs against Hawaii, you know, starts the season, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. They've lost two straight, one at Memphis, one at Stanford. He's thrown two picks in both of those games. But it seems like Rosen means, again, similar to Donald, so much to that offense out there. And, you know, we'll see how UCLA looks going forward. But I think to this point right now, you know, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions, thrown for over 1,700 yards so far. You know, those are the kind of numbers that people can sort of point to and say, look, you know, this kid's playing at a high level. Completion percentage has been a question mark with Rosen so far in his career. You know, his freshman year completed 60%. It dropped to 59 last year. He's at 65.5 so far this year. You know, you'd like to see it above 60, and he's moved above that. So we're seeing that development. So I've been impressed with those two guys out in L.A. Yeah, I feel like there could be a bit of a theme emerging here. You know, we've got the two L.A. guys, you know, that they're, they're- Obviously, Sam Darnold and Joshua, and then we've got two others on your list who seem to be from the same state as well. So there seems to be a, a bit of a grouping here going on. Do you want to move on to your, your, your two next ones? Yeah, and you know, it's—I don't know 
what the future holds for Baker Mayfield, Tom, particularly when you start to think about him maybe going to the NFL because he's going to face some concerns over his height. He's going to face some concerns over his style of play. You know, I wrote a piece about Baker Mayfield for Inside the Pylon last year, which I called, you know, the conundrum of comfort and chaos because it seems like he's that type of quarterback that almost prefers when the bodies are flying around him. He almost likes it when he's pressured and forced to play off of the play structure. But to see what he's done so far this year and not only, okay, to go into the horseshoe, have that statement win in a primetime game on the road against Ohio State and to plant the flag at the 50-yard line and then to follow up with what he did against Baylor where, again, pregame, you know, he's meeting the guys on the other field, you know, at midfield, the guys from the other team are basically saying, you know, I'm your daddy and then backing (laughs) it up with another big type performance. I mean, it. I've always thought that you've got to have that chip on your shoulder to play the quarterback position where, you know, you'll take the best shot you'll get from the other team, but then go down and, you know, put together a drive to put together a game-winning drive or, you know, throw the football right down the field and throw it right down their throats. And Mayfield's done that so far. And when you think of some of the great quarterbacks, I mean, a guy that's in the mix for the mantle of the greatest quarterback of all time is Tom Brady. And whenever you sit down and talk to Tom Brady, he always brings up, I was picked 199. I was picked in the sixth round. And this is a guy that has won five Super Bowls, is married to a supermodel, is set for life, and is without question on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. Whenever that mountain is finally built, he will be on it. But he still brings that up. He still has that chip. And you see that sort of chip in Mayfield. And again, I don't know what the future holds for him. I don't know what the NFL is really going to think of Baker Mayfield. But as far as college quarterbacks right now, hard to look away from him. And yeah, you know, his cross-state rival there, Mason Rudolph, um, somebody that people from an NFL evaluation perspective probably came into the year a little bit much higher on you know, Rudolph as opposed to a Baker Mayfield. Because Rudolph, you look at how many fits what people expect a quarterback to be. I mean, he's got the size, seems to have enough of that arm talent that we're looking for. There are times when you'd almost expect him to deliver throws with more velocity. But, you know, again, 6'5", 230, put up some big numbers so far. They dropped an interested one to TCU. That was a game that, you know, not a lot of people had them lose in that game. But, you know, so now they're 0-1 in conference. We'll see how Oklahoma State bounce back, bounces back. But, you know, those two Oklahoma kids, Mayfield and Rudolph, definitely been impressed with them so far. Yeah, like like you said, you know, both both are um, you know extremely talented. There's going to be a lot of questions, especially around Baker Mayfield. When we come on to the next segment, looking at you know top actual quarterback prospects. But finally, someone who I think is going to be uh, when we do get around to the, the draft evaluation, probably the biggest lightning rod in this draft is most likely to be uh, the guy who's you know the last one on your tier one list here, the, the reigning Heisman Trophy. I, th- I think we you know you talked about just how great Lamar Jackson is last time. But for those who may have missed it, how about you just you know uh, reacquaint us with, with Lamar Jackson? You might, Tom, you might want to actually sit back, you know, relax for a bit, maybe pour yourself a beverage or two, because I'm about to, I'm about to get a little feisty here. But what we're seeing right now with Lamar Jackson is frustrating because you sort of alluded to there, Tom, and that he's going to be a lightning round, lightning rod as the sort of draft evaluation process begins. And the reason is we're seeing people like Bill Polian, whom obviously I have the utmost respect for, but say, look, I watch him and I think he's a wide receiver in the National Football League. You're going to have to move him to wide receiver. And it just blows my mind because, you know, I'm in an 
interesting position, and I have a nice little advantage when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks for the draft because as part of my work over at Bleacher Report for the NFL 1000 Project, I watch every AFC quarterback, every snap, every single week, and I chart it out because Doug Farrar and I are ranking these guys week in and week out. And so I have spreadsheets on what every single AFC offense is doing from a play-to-play basis, from the route concepts that run into what these guys are throwing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I see a column filled with slant flat, curl flat, curl post, you know, all these sort of two-man route combinations. And then you turn on Louisville's tape, and what are they doing? They're doing that, and they're doing some even more advanced stuff. And I'm watching Lamar Jackson run that offensive, run it at a pretty high level, and it just blows my mind that you might think that this guy is not able to do that in the National Football League. And more than that, this idea that you're going to take somebody that's so explosive with the football in his hands that can make throws from the pocket, and I've got pieces on inside the pile, and I've got pieces that I've linked to on Twitter that go to this point, but that is so dangerous outside of the pocket with the football in his hands and he can make defenders miss it, you're going to take the ball out of his hands on every snap and rely on oh, I don't know, the Blaine Gabberts of the world to get the football to him. It just, when you think about trying to move the football downfield and punching the ball into the end zone to sort of reduce his access to the football, it just doesn't make sense. And yeah, they struggled against that Clemson defense. Like I said, I tuned in to watch every snap. I charted every snap that he was on the field for that game, and he struggled at times, sure. But he is still playing the position at a high level when it comes to the college game. And I still watch Lamar Jackson. I think, look, this is a potential NFL quarterback. And we heard arguments like this before with some other guys. Marcus Mariota, people questioned whether he could make that transition, whether he could do the things you ask an NFL quarterback to do. And he's shown that he can do those. I mean, look at a throw Mariota made against the Seahawks this Sunday where left hash mark, Opposite field, deep out route to Eric Decker along the sidelines with velocity, with Richard Sherman draped on Decker's back in coverage. There was only a like two-foot window where that ball could be placed for it to be completed, and Mariota, Mariota drilled it in there. So I think I was somebody that was high on Mariota coming out. I imagine when, when all is said and done, I'm going to be high on Jackson coming out whenever he decides to come out because I see in him the type of quarterback that – he can become, and I see the, sort of that same developmental arc that we saw from Marcus Mariota. Yeah, so we'll we'll move on here from your your top college quarterbacks to your top NFL draft prospect quarterbacks. And although the you know the five names remain the same from your tier one list, we'll 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 have to kind of change hats here from a from a college standpoint to a an NFL evaluation. But which there, there is a big difference, you know. And like you said, you know Lamar Jackson, he he is arguably you know, apart from maybe Saquon Barkley, he he's definitely in the competition as the top two best player in college football right now. But when it does come to the draft, you know, it's, there's, there are going to be a lot of questions like you alluded to. Uh, I, I think a lot of people, they've struggled with, does his game translate? That's going to be the big one. That's obviously what Bill Polian was, was alluding to. Uh, there's also going to be some questions, you know, can he withstand the punishment in the NFL? Is he durable because of obviously his size and how, how just how skinny he kind of looks? He looks like he's got like quite a lanky build, hasn't he? So Yeah, and, yeah, and you know, we've heard questions like that about some guys before. I mean, when you look at Lamar Jackson, obviously – you know, what he's listed at may not be exactly what he is. I mean, right now he's listed at 6'3", 212. I mean, we'll see if and when he, you know, goes to a yeah. combine or something, how that sort of pans out. But Jared Goff went first overall, and he's 6'4", 205. You know, and he's a skinny kid, too. And there were a little bit of the, ooh, can Goff sort of withstand that kind of punishment? But, you know, nowhere near what we've heard so far about Lamar Jackson. And so 
you know, I, I think that's sort of overblown. Again, you're talking about kids that are, you know, 20, 21, 22. I'm an older man. I'm 40. So I could see how the body puts on weight as you get older. So I think that's that's a concern that maybe some will have. But I don't worry about it right now with Jackson. Yeah, for the, for the list, so you've got you've got Donald, Rosen, Jackson, Rudolph, and Mayfield. Who who do you think at the minute currently standing? You know, who's who's helped their stock the most through the first four weeks of the season? Who's who's starting to separate themselves as you know the the, the, the draft process you know evolves and has scouts start to look at these callbacks? Who do you think is currently the the number one guy? Is it still Donald, as it was heading into the year, or has someone kind of established themselves so far? I mean, I, I think it's probably Donald. Um... What might be actually even a more interesting thing to think about is the name that's not there, and that's Allen, Josh Allen, the kid from Wyoming, because people looked at Allen, they looked at his tape last year, and people thought, whether it was GMs or people in the draft evaluation media business, thought, this guy could be the first quarterback taken if he comes out. And the fall from earth from Josh Allen has been stunning to watch. And, you know, they played a, a home game last Saturday night, late night against Hawaii. You know, I stayed up late to watch it and to watch Allen, and he's. it seems like there's a lack of confidence right there. It just seems like these expectations were put upon him coming into this year, and he just hasn't lived up to them. And it's you can see it almost wearing on him to the point where he just doesn't seem like the same quarterback he was last year. So it's been somewhat tough to watch, to be honest. Yeah. With Donald, I mean, I think – you know, expectations were high for him coming in as well. I mean, he was the talk of the combine last year, and I think for the most part, he sort of lived up to them. Um, you know, obviously the way that he's turned the ball over is something that people can point to, but I think for the most part, he's lived up to the expectations that were there. Rosen, I think, has certainly helped himself because he had the shoulder injury last year, and there were concerns. Is he going to bounce back? How is he going to handle, you know, again, moving into an offense that was new for him last year? He didn't get a ton of time in it. It seems to be like Rosen's certainly helped himself, although he's made some certainly ill-advised throws the past two weeks. He had one against Memphis that was a true head-scratcher, so that was interesting. You know, Jackson, I think he was really starting to help himself, and then the game against Clemson has set him back a bit because yeah. um, a lot of people tuned in to see that, you know, how he would look up against that defense because it's probably, you know, one of the toughest defenses he'll face, if not the toughest defense he'll face all year and, you know, sort of have the performance that he did as people kind of wondering, and it's given some fuel to the fire of those who say, look, he's more wide receiver type guy in the NFL. But, yeah, I mean, Rudolph has certainly helped himself. I think there are people that still sort of question, is he a – day one first round type guy or is he more of a day two guy and then like we talked about tom with baker mayfield there will be the questions about size style of play the unorthodox nature to what he does and maybe even some off the field stuff too obviously he had that arrest this past off season but it's hard to argue with the results so far and when you see guys like you know a russell wilson have the success that they've had in the NFL, maybe some of those size concerns, the height concerns that people might have about Mayfield, maybe they get less into bit. And remember, you know, it only takes one. It only takes one team to sort of look at a guy like Bacon Mayfield and say, look, we can win with this kid to go out and get him in the NFL draft. Yeah, I was going to allude to, you know, that obviously Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, slightly shorter callbacks who have had, you know, tremendous success in their, in their careers. Uh, like you said, you know, there's a lot of concerns with Mayfield. He goes off script. Production largely comes from improvised plays, doesn't work through progressions well. But, you know, you look at someone like, you know, Patrick Mahomes and you think where, where on earth, you know, he was taken and, you know, teams actually traded up to get, to get him. Is that something that you think Patrick Mahomes is where he went this year? Is that something that could help Mayfield next year? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Tom. And, you know, when you, you, you see sort of the deals that were made in last year's first round where teams that seem to be set or at least have the 
framework of a quarterback in place. You know, obviously the Chiefs look to be set at that position right now. The Texans look to be, you know, maybe they rely on Tom Savage, maybe not. But, you know, the way they moved up to said, look, you know, we're going to make sure we get our next guy. That probably helps a guy like Mayfield. And then when you factor in sort of the offensive play structure, like you were sort of alluding to there and, you know, okay, so maybe he's not running the most pro style offense right now, but we can go and get him now and get him into the building, get him acclimated to our offense and go from there. You know, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, maybe there's a team like say a Pittsburgh that might be starting to think about their next guy down the road or the giants. I know the giants drafted Davis Webb, but Teams like that that might be looking at, okay, you know, the Arizona Cardinals, another example. Teams that might be looking at the next guy and saying, okay, we don't need him right now, but let's get him into the building, get him learning our offense. So if it's 10 weeks down the road next year, we've at least got him and we've got him ready to run our offense now. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think you you had three of the teams on my list. I also had the Saints down there as someone who could be looking for a potential potential successor come thing. That's Uh, a good call. We'll go into the the question from Nick as a Saints fan. That's a little bit of a transition there, but we'll we'll move into Nick's question. So he sent in, did going back to school hurt Josh Allen's draft stock but helped his chance of being, you know, a longer-term, more successful NFL career? Is that something, you know, maybe he's given up a short bit of of cash, but in the long term it could pay off? Is that something that maybe you're buying into that narrative at all? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point from Nick, and I think there's something to that because, you know, there were question marks about Allen last year that guys like me and others had about his style of play because, you know, when you watch him, sure, he has the fastball, and I don't think there are quarterbacks that we've seen like him with that type of arm talent and velocity since like a Jeff George type who could throw the football through a brick wall, sure. But you need to be able to do more than that. You need to be able to show touch and anticipation and ball placement and all those other little things that go into becoming not just a thrower but a passer of the football. And so, yeah, maybe now if Allen comes out, he's a day two guy. Maybe he falls to the second round or beyond. Who knows? But I think – what he's learned this year is maybe some of that stuff that we're talking about as well as now the chips are down with him. I mean, he's dealing with some adversity. He's gone from, man, this is the guy that everybody has to watch. I mean, I went to the Big Ten media days out in Chicago, Tom, to get ready for covering the Big Ten this year. And all that Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa coach, was asked about was, hey, what about this Josh Allen kid? You guys are playing him week one. And, you know, Kirk Ferentz, even in his opening remarks, talked about, oh, we got to go play that kid for Wyoming. I mean, he was – Allen was like national news type stuff. And now he's fallen off the radar. And I have people, you know, other people in this business, the draft evaluation business, asking me if he's even a draftable prospect at this point. I mean, that's how steep and fast the fall has been. So so he's certainly up against it right now. And, you know, if when he does come out this year, he'll have learned a lot about who he is as a quarterback and as an athlete and as a football player that, you know, he wouldn't have learned just coming out of the NFL last year, or if he did, he would have landed on the big stage. He gets the chance to go through those bumps now. And so if he does come out, maybe he'll fall in the draft a bit. His draft stock will take a hit, but he'll become a better football player and a better quarterback and a better, perhaps, leader as a result. Yeah, we've got three final questions for you here. So obviously we, we haven't spoke about Luke Falk so far. The, obviously, you know, he puts up video game type numbers at Washington State. Is he someone who maybe by the end of the year could be in that conversation or is it is it just, you know, it's not quite there yet for him? 
Yeah, I mean, Falk's an interesting case study, and he's going to have, similar to what we saw with Mahomes last year, is that sort of air raid offense aroma around him where people say, look, yeah, he puts up video game numbers, but it's all in this like simplified Stigma, yeah. one-read system where you know Mike Leach has seven plays written down on a post-it that he walks onto the sideline with before every single game because they just – they have six or seven plays, but they just have some different variations of them. How is he going to learn an NFL-type playbook? But, you know, in studying Falk this past summer and getting ready for him this year, you know, I think there's a potential NFL quarterback in there. He's put up again, like you'd expect, big numbers this year, 14 touchdowns, only one interception, which he threw in a three-overtime loss against Boise State, in which, you know, Leach sort of questioned – you know, whether Falk was going to be the quarterback for this team going forward. Now, of course, he has been, and they've won four straight games. But, you know, Falk is somebody I think that it would surprise me if he sort of crept into the round one sort of conversation. I'm very curious to see if he gets a senior bowl invite, because I think that would be the sort of environment that would go a long way towards getting himself into the mix for a day two, potentially late day one type guy, because if he can go down to Mobile, meet with coaches, do the whiteboard work with them, run an NFL-type offense for an entire week of practice. And when you talk about the Senior Bowl, the game doesn't matter. It's that week of practice. That's what really NFL coaches and scouts look at is how are they handling themselves in an NFL-type environment for an entire week and doing those drills and things like that. Can they take to the coach? And Falk could really help himself in that environment. And so I think when all is said and done, if he gets that invite to Mobile, he should definitely go down there, take advantage of it. It certainly helped a guy like Carson Wentz. I mean, Wentz was sort of this question mark that people liked from a talent perspective, but they wanted to see him do it up close and personally. He goes out to Mobile, becomes the second overall pick. And so I think we might not see a rise like that from Falk if he goes, but we might see him rise up boards if he takes advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, like you said, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting thing to see. You know, if, obviously, there's a, there's, a, there's a big stigma around air raid quarterbacks. You know, is he able to... Yeah you know grasp the concept of a pro style offense uh second last question here so you know we've spoken about quite a lot of callbacks so you know there's gonna be a, uh, there's plenty of pe- things for people to you know chew their teeth into here but are there any sleepers you see coming out of the woodwork maybe in the last you know eight to nine games of the season people will be like oh maybe we should go back check his check his take from last year he did okay this year any sleepers coming out of the woodwork by draft time you know, you know, Tom, there are some guys at the FCS level that I think people need to sort of have on their radar and you know Again, I watched 40 quarterbacks to sort of get ready for this season. And you know, we've talked about a lot of the guys at the top. But there are guys like, say, Brian Shore at James Madison University. James Madison, they won the FCS National Championship last year. And Shore is a guy that I think very mobile, can make throws in and out of the pocket, hasn't put up a ton of numbers. But the big challenge for him this year was, look, they had a running back last year in a strong running game, that kid of duel that made it to Giants camp. Um, they relied on the run game, but this year they're putting more on shore, and he's put up some really good numbers. Jim, Jeremiah Briscoe out of Sam Houston State, he was the Walter Payton Award winner for the top offensive player in FCS. Again, he's putting up big-time numbers there for the Bearcats. He's having another really good year so far. And Kyle Oretta, uh from Richmond Uh, The Richmond Spiders, the University of Richmond, also in the Colonial Athletic Association, similar to James Madison, the senior. He's been a captain there for years. He had an ACL injury last year, but he's back. Um, So those are three sort of FCS guys that you won't hear on day one. You won't talk about for day two. But when you think about Senior Bowl or perhaps the Shrine game, where you get a lot of those day three type players, those are some senior quarterbacks at the FCS level that not a lot of people know about, not a lot of people have really studied. And I'll throw one more into the mix. Devontae Kincaid 
former player at the University of Mississippi, transferred to Grambling State. Very athletic, strong-arm type quarterback. Those four guys in the mix with that senior bowl invite or shrine game type invite. Guys that are under the radar right now, but I think as we get into the draft, people start looking around, seeing who comes out, who doesn't. Maybe a guy like Darnold and Rosen, maybe they actually go back to school and we're looking elsewhere for quarterbacks. Those are some names to keep in mind. Could be a, a 2011 type season type, type situation where you know everyone wanted Andrew Luck. He went back for one final year at Stanford, and then the Buffalo Bills end up taking was it Marcel Darius rather than getting Cam Newton. So hopefully there's yeah. no hopefully there's no heartbreak like that this year. But you know, great insight there as always from you, Mark. Uh, plenty for people to mull over there. We're just going to finish it with one final question, more of a fun one. This is so. Oh boy, here we go. So this this could this could be interesting. So you're rebuilding an NFL franchise from start. Apart from you know. You're not trying to fill seats, otherwise you take you know a Jackson or a Mayfield. But you're rebuilding an NFL franchise from the start. Which of the callbacks discussed so far would you want under the center, and would you take you know number one overall to, to rebuild your franchise around? Ooh, that's that's a really. I mean, hmm. we're, we're assuming like say like there's a Jets type situation where we're an established team. We just need to sort of address the quarterback situation. I'm saying we're blowing it up. You know, we're, the the windows are coming off. We're starting from scratch. We're, we're trying we're trying oh, to build a team. Start- you're sort of basically like an expansion team. Um, it's a demo job, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I give a ton of consideration to taking Lamar Jackson. And, you know, for a number of reasons. I mean, you know in a situation like that, you're going to face some lumps early. You're not going to compete and win right away. So there's going to be an opportunity to grow at the position for the entire team. The entire roster is going to grow together. I think Jackson gives you the athletic ability, the ability to play the quarterback position. He's going to need to develop, sure, but in that situation, you're having to develop everybody. He's not going to get thrown into the fire right away for an established team trying to win right away. And so I think in that type of situation, I think Lamar Jackson fits that mold. And, you know, maybe it's just that I'm higher on him than others. And, you know, I get that. Maybe, you know, I'm wrong and they're right. And I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. But for me, I think Jackson can play the position. I think he can be a quarterback in the NFL, and that's kind of the direction I'd head. There we go. So what we've learned from two from two briefings of you is that you're extremely high on Lamar Jackson. Uh, great insight as always, Mark. Thanks for taking time of your busy day to come join us. Uh, well, hopefully we'll check in with you in a, fr- in a few weeks' time, see if anything's changed since then, hopefully get maybe four more games under our belt, and hopefully we can get Nick on at the same time as you. That that would be ideal but yeah i mean nick needs to stop ducking me here and obviously the best to his wife and you know the news that they've got on the way but yeah man tom thank you so much for having me love coming on love chatting with you and look forward to doing it again soon no great thank you for your sharing your expertise mark uh guys be sure to check out mark's over on inside the pylon bleacher report and also follow him on twitter at mark schofield always brings great uh, always brings great stuff great insight from the callback position uh mark once again thanks for having you on thanks so much tom appreciate it thanks for listening Be sure to check out the website at www.theinsidezone.com. Till next time.